alert. All hands to the battle station. Welcome back to another episode of Battle Station. I'm your host, Tucker, and this episode is going to be a little different than the usual. Rather than focusing on one ship in a vacuum, I'm going to talk about an entire category of ships and then build one as an example. Before I do that, though, I want to give you all a quick heads up. Um, the schedule for Battle Station on first and third Sundays was always very tentative, and for reasons that you shall soon know about, that shall soon become public, I'm going to have to switch it to uh, second and fourth Mondays, releasing at midnight Pacific. So that's why this episode is maybe a little earlier than expected. But let's get back to the topic at hand, which today is going to be what we in the competitive community call support ships. What is a support ship? This is a question I actually get asked pretty frequently, but in order to answer it, I actually need to talk a little bit about the history of competitive attack wing. So bear with me as I go through this. So when attack wing first started out, Star Trek attack wing, the tournament format was simple. Your fleet had to be 100 points, period, that's it. And in general, this wasn't something that people had trouble filling out. You know, you had ships in the starter, roughly 20 to 30 points on the high end of that. So you take a couple of those and throw on some good upgrades, you know, your Taurus, your John Luke Picards, and call it a day. Uh, there are a few swarm fleets out there uh, with the introduction of some cheaper ships in Wave Zero. Uh, Admiral's orders led to some variations, but basically the idea was that if you have a ship, it's intended to serve in a frontline combat role. But then Wave 1 happened, because Wave 1 brought with it the game-changer we all know today as Cloaked Mines. So suddenly the question isn't how many you know combat-capable ships can you fly, it's how many copies of Cloaked Mines can you run. Now obviously this wasn't universal, but this was a very popular strategy, and one of the best ways to get Cloaked Mines in the fleet was actually the ship it came on, the IRW Praetis. There's a 14-point Romulan ship with two tech slots. So basically, you'd have the Praetis carrying one or two copies of Cloaked Mines, and then the rest of your fleet doing whatever. Because remember, this was a time when tech slots were still relatively rare on ships. This led to the idea that a ship uh, of fewer points could be valuable in a fleet for essentially non-combat purposes. Then wave four rolls around. So we get the Borg, we get Voyager, and we get Dreadnought builds. Uh, for those who don't know, that's a build where basically the fleet is all in on one huge ship. So combined with flagship and sideboard resources, uh, both of which were still in play at the time, the game incentivized building that one big ship heavily instead of multiple smaller ones. But even with those resources, uh, it was very frequently the case you couldn't fill out a 100-point list with just one ship, even on a tactical cube, which was the most expensive ship in the game at that point. Plus, several captains, uh, the most famous ones probably being Martok 8, which grants a free action to a lower-skill captain, and Denatro, which grants a free attack die to all ships in range 1, uh, were released that had these sort of friendly bonuses to nearby ships. So what a lot of players wanted was a cheap ship 
that could carry a captain like that and or a set or multiple sets of Romulan cloaked mines while costing as few points as possible. They went back to a ship from Wave Zero, the Romulan Science Vessel, the generic one, a 12-point Romulan ship with a tech slot. That's all they needed because the Romulan Science Vessel was actually really good at this job. Unlike the Praetis, the cloak doesn't damage itself, so cloaking and sensor echoing around the board to ensure the bonus from Donatra or Martok was always positioned co correctly was the order of the day. It helped that a lot of players actually already had one because attack cancellation was a thing at the time and Veril comes on the Romulan science vessel, the uh, Apnix specifically. Uh, so at 12 points, it was the cheapest ship in the game. It was barely an investment. All you had to do to, to regain the loss was to take out a more expensive ship from your opponent and since you were running a dreadnought, you know, they had to basically table you, quote-unquote, in order to get those points back. Um, they were the, not maybe not the most common, but some of the most common ships used throughout the entire first regional series, um, all the way through uh, even to the next change of the format, which was this. WizKids got sick of the Borg winning all the time. I think everybody got sick of the Borg winning all the time. And they changed the format to require 120 points, three ships, and 50 points or less per ship. But rather than hurt the support ship concept, this actually made it even more popular. Because probably while WizKids expected fleets to start doing a roughly 40-40-40 3-ship build, what they ended up doing was two 50-point ships at the 50-point limit and one 20-point support ship. The introduction of shuttles, when not used to create old-fashioned dreadnoughts or ignore various ha faction house rules, gave us a new series of smaller ships that could carry relevant combat upgrades outside of the main combatants. So, keeping all that in mind, what does a modern ship look like in the support role? I know I've spoken about it lately a lot. I know it's, I think it's the only ship at this point to have two Battle Stations episodes specifically devoted to it as opposed to just it in its generic form. But I have to say that in my mind, the current support ship uh, platform to be measured against, if you will, is Quark's Treasure. It's a shuttle with all of the advantages that that implies but one that can duck and hide inside another ship if necessary without hurting your action economy. Uh, combine that with a nice selection of slots and the ability to run basically whatever with no faction penalties, you got a cheap ship that's always in a position to help your fleet. Now, I'm not going to go over the stat line and the maneuvers again because the stats don't matter. You're not running it for the stats. Uh, the maneuvers, I it, it just takes a while to list them off, and frankly, um, you're welcome to go and listen to episode, uh, I believe it's 13, where I make a Quark's treasure build. Um, I, talk, I talk more about it there, and I'm not going to spend the time to talk about it here. So anyway, um, ultimately, the next question is, what goes on a support ship? Well, the days of Martok and Donatra are probably mostly behind us. Uh, for a couple of reasons. High captain skill uh, is more important than Martok's action in a lot of uh, venues now, and one die just isn't isn't really worth the points anymore. But one of the historically best support cards is still around, which is Projected Stasis Field. 
is a Klingon tech upgrade, costs 5 points base. It disables an opponent's shields and prevents them from attacking all at the cost of the action. That can single-handedly win you a game. Another strong option is uh, Second of Five. He's a close-range universal ganker. You know, action, discard him to discard any upgrade on an opposing ship. And, of course, Cloaked Mines, an area-of-effective damage card, is never going to be bad. But my favorite option for a support ship is actually Quark. He's a two-point unique Ferengi crew who says, at the start of the game, you can choose a non-Borg tech or weapon card with a cost of five or less and put a face down under this card. At any time, you could discard this card to deploy the face down card to your ship. Okay. Um, basically, if you're not running him elsewhere in your fleet, I highly recommend leaving whatever your support card is under Quark just to give your opponent that much more uncertainty. It's easy to play around projected stasis field and cloaked mines, and it's a lot less easy to do that if you're not sure which one of them your opponent has. Plus, since this is a shuttle, you could actually hide a warp jump instead and transfer it to the carrier after docking, so the opponent will just really have no idea what's coming. Uh, two more support options I want to address come from my old State of the Federation co-hosts, Will Sanchez and Joseph Vandiot. Will was always very fond of using the Vulcan Elite Talent Diplomacy uh, which is an action prevents your ship and another target ship from attacking or being attacked. Your support ship not attacking is not generally going to be a loss. They're looking at you know, one or two die pop guns. But preventing another ship from attacking, basically a preemptive attack cancel, can be quite potent. Uh, Joseph made his name with a similar tactic. I mean, he improved his name. He already had. He was like the number one player in the world at the time. But he used a similar tactic. What he did was he used Mirror Universe Julian Bashir's ability to make opposing ships fire and lose their attack if they don't on the support ship and then putting the support ship as a shuttle back in its carrier. Uh, this would stop the opponent attacking from all. Um, this apparently uh, got on somebody's nerves after he won regionals with it because the rules forum was updated the next day to stop the trip from happening after it hadn't basically been updated in like months or something. Uh, still, even if you can't do that particular aspect, drawing fire to a ship you don't mind losing is generally quite potent. So I wanted to put this all together using a very quick build with some support technology we actually haven't seen that much of yet. Uh, it's 31 points, which is a little bit on the high side for a support ship, but I think that it's worth the donation of the extra five from the rest of your fleet because the build itself is very simple. It's Quark's Treasure at 16 points with Captain Khan Singh 7 for five points, the aforementioned Quark for two points, and two face-down upgrades on Khan Singh for four points each for a total of 31 points. Now, how does this work? Well, Khan Singh is an independent captain that says uh, you don't pay any faction costs for any upgrades. Uh, up to three of your upgrades can be face down, and they cost four points exactly. Um, and you keep them face down until you use them, basically. And then when you use them, you flip them face up immediately. So... Uh, the, the idea here is basically Quark taken to its next logical extreme, which is uh, if you don't know what I have on my support ship, I have a huge tactical advantage over you because you have to play around all the options. Quark is good because, you know, it gives you a wide variety at five-point weapon or tech, but Khan says, I can have whatever. You have no idea what I have. I can, I can just have anything I want. 
So what is under Quark and Khan in this build? That is entirely up to you. I think I think I've given you a nice list of options to choose from above, but it really could be anything from three cloaked minds to Bashir, second of five, and projected stasis field. Think about how hard that, that difference is going to be to play around. Even if you've seen elite talent, it might not be diplomacy. It, it might be I stab at thee to punish opponents for trying to blow up your support ship. Pick your own set of upgrades and have fun or try not to sweat too much while you figure out what your opponents picked when they run this. I know this isn't really the typical Battle Station episode, but I hope you all enjoyed it anyway. If you did, please consider writing a kind review on iTunes to let folks know that you enjoyed the podcast. I'll see you in two weeks, and you should have some pretty interesting news to talk about by then. But for now, stand down red alert and secure from Battle Station. Battle Station.